this week on the imbalance history of rock and roll we're kind of hanging on a street corner with a man who knows about the music that got its start there i'm ray Coop. i'm marcus goldman and our guest this week on the podcast is the one and only harvey holiday man philly radio legend and now indulging all his passions that radio took away from right radio was getting in the way of your real fun right yeah, no question. Plus, going to the, I went to four doctors in the last week, but everything was great. But oh, uh, oh, good, healthy as hell. Absolutely. When I used to work, I used to gather the staff around, and I said, "We got to figure out a way. They'll send us our checks, but we don't have to come in here anymore." And now I know what it is. It's called retirement. <laughs> well, you've been doing it so long, Harvey. They had to pry you away from the radio when you left uh, OGL, where you'd been for a long time. Uh, you did what a lot of people did uh, in those days early in your career. You traveled around a bit. You worked uh, here and there, as they'd say, up in Allentown a bit, Trenton. Atlantic uh, City. And eventually, though, you get the bike, you get the call, and a chance to come home. And you started working in Philadelphia radio a long time ago now. Well, I had been uh, a, go- a gopher for High Lit when I was a kid. I used to play records at his dances, and he was the program director for High Seas Underground on DASFM, which... Now, was people just- who don't know what that is, explain what High Seas Underground is, because it's a very important part of our rock radio and in Philadelphia history. Well, it's when album rock, you know, uh, AM played the hit singles, the top 40, blah, 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 the hits keep coming. And uh, Tom Donahue, I'm sure you know more about this than I do, in San Francisco started, I guess what they called underground radio at the time, where they played long album cuts and they put music together and they painted pictures. You know, they talked to people that wasn't, uh, you know, rhyming and chiming and all that stuff. It was just it was just good radio and good music. And, yeah, I mean, they might go from James Brown to a classical piece to John Coltrane. I mean, it was just, it was all over the place, but they put it together beautifully. The, the disc jockeys were artists, you know, they got to paint pictures. So Heisky's Underground came along until MMR came along, and then Heisky's Underground was out. Mm. MMR did it a little better, and that's when I got a really big break because that's when we went what they call Black Progressive. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many. I was the first program director for DISFM. In 71, just perfect for us, Marvin Gaye came out with what's going on. We were the only station playing it, and it was over 100,000 in Philly. I'll never forget, I said to the general manager, Bob Clown, I said, this Marvin Gaye album is great. It's over 100,000. Nobody else is playing it. It's unbelievable. And he looked at me, and he went, shh. I mean, now you hear black music almost everywhere. But at the time, we had the uh, market for, you know, Stevie Wonder came out with some great albums, and uh, the music was just great. We had Dr. Perry Johnson and Wayne Joel. We had great people that really knew the music and they painted pictures. And then our AM station, DIS, was the you know number one black AM station. And I said, you know, Sunday night to get the AM listeners and the FM listeners, why don't we go oldies? So I put my I put my as the PD, I put on an oldie show on Sunday night. After two books, I was number one, 12 plus, and I had a fabulous 15 years. And then I made some moves, which weren't that smart, but Butterball took over, and it was, and Patty Jackson still does the show today. So a proud thing that it, it's still on the air, and Patty does a great job. You started another tradition that if there was podcasting back then, would be on like its ten thousandth episode. Uh, your Street Corner Sunday show. When you moved to WOGL, it was an oldie station then, and you were doing that vibe, the uh, the doo-wop sounds and all the artists and hits 
uh, from that era uh, and giving them airplay every week for years and years and years till what 2017 was it something like that yeah and we had you know we had live groups come in and i remember the first group we had was jimmy beaumont from the skyliners We had the Flamingos. I had Benny King for three hours one night. Uh, Arlene Smith and the Chantels. We would bring in acapella groups and have them sing. I mean, that was, you know, I always say that radio, somebody has to give you a shot. Somebody, you know, somebody has to trust you. Somebody has to respect your knowledge. You know, no matter what the music and what the format is, there has to be somebody in management that says, hey, Ray, you know what you're doing. Go on the air and give me some ratings, you know, make the people happy. I was lucky that I had, you know, I always say there's a rabbi or somebody behind you that gives you the chance, gives you the shot and believes in you. And then you got to produce. With your love for doo-wop and the early days of soul, what was the first doo-wop song that you heard that hooked you? Well, when I was 12 years old, I listened to a show called The Rock and Roll Kingdom, High Lit on WHAT. It was on 9 to 1. Hmm. I used to like listen to the radio for ball games up and down the dial, you know, out-of-town out games. And one night I heard High Lit. Look at them, Stag. High school, Ernie McFadders, who beats beers, Buddhist cats, big-time spenders, moneylenders, teetotalers, elbow benders, hard callers, all my hitters, finger popping daddies, and cool babysitters. High school doing the same. With a potty machine, let's rock and roll. And I heard this rock and roll, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And the first record I bought was at a record shop in Broad and Alamy, 1956. I was 12 years old. It was called The ABCs of Love by Frankie Lyman. Written by Richard Barrett, who I later met and interviewed and spent a lot of time with. These are pretty cool guys, like the Barry Gordy of uh, Doo-Wop. He, he discovered uh, Frankie Lyman. He discovered Little Anthony. He's the guy playing the piano on all those Chantel records. Uh, he discovered the Cleptones. Just a fabulous A&R guy. But ABC's A Love was the first record I purchased, and after that, I just started buying records. And I used to get on three buses and go to WDAS and WHAT on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and they didn't have security then, so you could just ring the bell and walk in the station. Cool. So that, that, was, that was the best thing. So one day, I was I was like 13 or 14. Georgia Woods put me on the radio. Uh, Lloyd <laughs> Fatman, I was on Man HAT. with the goods. I was on DAS and HAT the same day. As I'm... Going on in life, I've read a lot. Other people say they used to do the same thing, go to the radio station and hang out. Wibbage was too far away to get the bus, but I used to go to, like I say, HAT and DAS. And, of course, later I worked at DAS for 15 years, so that was pretty special. I always find out stuff when we get ready to talk to people or just getting ready to do an episode, and I always kind of wondered 
how we went from where music was to doo-wop and the other rock and roll of the 50s. And then a lot of that I know because I was old enough to remember it, some of it anyway. And what I didn't realize is that the music that went to the street corners was kind of a tradition of what was already going on with the, the singing groups of the 30s and 40s. And that kind of influenced the harmony part. Ink Spot, the Ink Spots and the Mills Brothers. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Marcus has been on an ink spots tear. Yeah. And gospel was a big influence on doo but the yeah. two pop yeah. groups were the ink spots and the Mills Brothers. But let me, let me say something that's really important. There was no such thing as doo when rock and roll started. You went to an Alan Creed show, you saw Chuck Berry, pure rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You saw the Everly Brothers, rockabilly. You saw the Moonglows, the Flamingos, mm-hmm. what so-called doo It was just rock and roll. It could be anything. That was so, it was so great, the variety of rock and roll. Like I say, you go to a show or listen to the radio, nobody, you know, put things in categories. Mm-hmm. Now, as the years went on... The money people. Collectors. No, collectors, there was a disc jockey, Gus Gossett in New York. He started doing a show of oldies, just group harmony. And then collectors started collecting doo-wop. And then collectors collected rockabilly, you know, Elvis and Fats and Chuck Berry. So, so th- did the stores put them in bins and categories so people No, there was no them? categories until like maybe in the 60s, like I said, when Gus Gossett and mm-hmm. people would start collecting and they'd say, I just want to collect group harmony. Some wow. people collected Sun Records. So it was the collectors and the mm-hmm. disc jockeys that made what, how, how would I say it, subdivisions? subdivisions of rock and roll and that's where all the categories came in now getting ready for our conversation with you i got to watch this little uh 25 minute bio on bill kenny of the ink spots and his importance in the evolution of rock and roll and one of the things that I found very interesting is that when people saw corner groups most of them were singing Bill Kenny songs or Bill Eckstein songs. Billy Eckstein? Yeah, Billy Eckstein songs. The Platters did, like, I, If I Didn't Care, which was a big Ink Spot song. The Platters did a lot of their songs. And the groups also did, uh, you know, the American Standard, you know, Life is But a Dream, mm-hmm. um, you know, As Time Goes By. You know, the great thing was that you didn't need equipment. You just got four guys. I, I remember I went to a wedding and there was four guys that had a group like 30 years ago and they got together and they started singing again at the wedding and they sounded great. You played basketball or you, or you sang in a group and they had battles with the groups. I asked a lot of the groups, why did you become a singer? And they all had the same answer, to meet girls. <laughs> the motivation of all motivation. Matter of fact, Benny King was the big ba- Benny King became the lead singer of the Drifters. There goes my baby, fifth nineteen fifty nine. Great mm-hmm. singer, great guy. Oh, yeah. He was the bass. The, 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 a group called the Five Crowns became the Drifters. The, the manager owned the name, and he fired the group, and he hired the Five Crowns with Benny King. And Benny was actually the bass singer, and they made him the lead singer for There Goes My Baby. He called me on the interviews. I want to be the lead singer because the bass got more girls. So. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, but oh, yeah. that's a lot of reason a lot of them did it. You know, there's so many groups that didn't make it. 
the collectors love the rare records. You know, they love to find the oddball. You know, the, some, some records will go for fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. You know, there's fifty dollar records, a hundred dollar records, and they're they're rare. I mean, they're records you wouldn't even play on the radio. But that's sort of the problem with doo-wop is the, the guys that do those internet shows today, they're all look they're all looking at, and I don't mean to criticize, but because I appreciate anybody who gets on the radio and plays music. I think, you know, it takes it takes a lot of nerve, a lot of talent. But they play the oddballs, what I call the oddball records nobody knows, you know. I mean, I love doo-wop, but I don't want to hear three hours of songs I don't know, you know. And so they're sort of the worst enemy for the music because especially now with radio going way past, you know, not even playing seventies anymore for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. so you're not hearing I only have eyes for you or one summer night or why do fools fall in love? Uh, you're not hearing the, the big hits because everybody wants to be the hippest guy in town and play records. Nobody knows. I never understood that, especially now when, you know, I'm not saying I love I used to love to find a new record. Nobody knew and play it in, but I wouldn't do three hours of them. I, no. you know, I play a few hits. Like when you go see an act, you want to you want to hear the hits, right? You want you want to you want to hear you don't want to hear the Beatles. Pretty much the thinking, right? If you go see Paul McCartney, you don't want him to sing, uh, you know, four hours of songs nobody knows, even if it's Paul McCartney. True. So, doo-wop is sort of the disc jockeys are sort of their own worst enemy. They really should play, especially now. They should play the hits and some oddballs. There's a way to do it with flow. If you understand music yeah. flow, you can you know exactly when to spike in those spice tracks, as they're now called in radio exactly, or whatever, yeah. deep cuts. You know where I hear the most best oldies? On commercials. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's I'll true. I'll sit on my computer and I'll have the TV on and all of a sudden I hear a record that I used to play. And I, I roll my eyes, you know? Because I couldn't play it on the radio today, but it's on a national TV that spent a million dollars on advertising. Yeah. Hey, Harvey, I got to ask you. Harvey Holiday is our guest, and he knows more about doo-wop and the music of the street corners than most people will ever learn. And that's why we're here with you today to learn more about this. I wanted to ask you about the street source. I mean, I understand it's easy. Guys can get together or girls can get together. Uh, they can practice in the in the bathrooms at, at school, that kind of subway, thing. Subways. Subways. Subways, too, right? Right. Subways. Subway, great, school. Great, great, great sound in there. Uh, is there any kind of a accepted myth or legend about which street corners it was New York, Chicago, Philly, Baltimore, other cities? Uh, any street corner or combination of street corners where the where it's generally accepted that with the story of doo-wop because there's so many people who have different stories in all different genres of music and we're really exploring here we figured we'd ask you kind of a doo-wop 101 question because i don't think a lot of people know how it all happened there well i can't tell you the streets but i know that you hit it around on the head there are streets where in new york or philly uh, i think it was more like west philly we had a couple of groups in West Philly in 1954, which is like two years before Frankie Lyman. That was the Castells on the Grand label on Lancaster Avenue. And their big song was My Girl Waits Me. George Graham was the lead singer. And as a matter of fact, I think he signed with the Ink Spots later in his career. He did a lot of stuff with the Ink Spots in Vegas. And then there was a female group called the Capris, not to be confused with the Capris, there's a moon out tonight and more to love. 
It was like a 15-year-old girl. And that was like the first two big doo-wop groups in Philly, 1954, could even be 53. And there was corners, recreation centers where they would meet and they had, would have battles of the groups among themselves. And I know there was somewhere in New York, uh, I'd have to look it up, but they had where they would go, it'd be like a basketball game. They'd go and they would have battles. And, uh, you know, one group would sing, the next group would sing. And that, of course, later became on stage. That became known as the Battle of the Groups. As you, you know, you've heard that, right? And uh, it was always fun. You know, it was competition. So I guess the answer really is there is no set story. It just kind of happened in a lot of different places, all kind of related musically as far as uh, the influences leading up to it, but just voices sharing sounds together in the night around a barrel burning stuff. I think there were certain corners, like especially in New York, where people would go every night to have a sing-off, to, to, to sing. So I think you're right on that point. You know, everybody wanted to get a record deal. See, back then, today, you know, you have, you, you sign a record deal and there's a lot of money involved and you make the videos and, you know, and they stay with an artist. They, they invest a lot of money in an artist. You know, back then, you had a, you had a doo-wop hit. Your first record was a hit. And then your second, let's say top 10, your second record went number 40. Your third record didn't make the charts. You were out, the next group was in. Uh, the Elegance, Little Star, was a number one record. Where are you, Little Star? never made the charts they never had another chart record and they never got another chance after one failure that's it and i think like the silhouettes the silhouettes had get a job they were from philly one of the first number one record get a job that's where shanana got their name the group Right. But, uh, they had and what, what did you think of stuff like that it, compared to the original wave of do up when Shauna and I became a big thing? What did you think of all that? I wasn't against it, but I wasn't a big fan. That's I, what I thought. I remember that TV show as a kid. Now, here they are, all three stepping ready to sing a breakdown. Shauna, So now let me ask you this. You said that there were all these battles of groups or sing-offs or whatever they were called. Was it the crowd who determined winners? Was a band humble and honest enough to say, hey, man, that band outsang our butts. They definitely were better. The crowd did, but what you're saying I think is true. I think you know when uh, if you're a group and you're with another group, you know right away the other group's better than you. But I think that they would go by crowd applause. Did you know that Barry White was a bass singer for a doo-wop group? No. The upfronts, yeah, the upfronts. That's how he started out. Tony Orlando was a doo-wop singer. I, you know, we've discussed Bob Dylan did a doo-wop song. One of the first songs he ever sang was a, one of my favorites, the Hollywood Flames, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz. Yeah, Dylan sang that when he was about, I think, in junior high school. And, you sent uh, me that, and I'd never heard that track before, so now it's in my head, Marcus. But Hollywood Flames record is great. 
That's West Coast doo-wop, by the way, which is yeah. different than East Coast doo-wop. Totally. Well, I want to ask you about that, but Marcus has a question for you, our guest, Harvey Holiday, talking about doo-wop roots. Really, a lot of it is what we're trying to get down to is the roots. Right, Marcus? We are definitely trying to get down to the roots. And you hear doo-wop or the branch of doo-wop in so many areas. Soul, you have the Temptations, you have the Spinners, you have bands like that who are vocal groups with great music behind them, not acapella. You have the Ramones who are kind of like doo-wop on speed, um, <laughs> like like misguided, weird, awkward teenage doo-wop on speed is what sometimes the Ramones sound like. And then you have like uh, Lou Reed did a little bit of a doo-wop feel did. with the Jade before he was in the Velvet Underground and before he got pissed off and started doing heroin. When we found that out, Harvey, we were really surprised because we're looking back and and, and back to his Syracuse days, and we find these recordings of him doing what was essentially a doo-wop. It kind of leads around to something I wanted to ask you about, because it starts with people singing together on street corners and in, in, in subways, and eventually they end up in the studio recording, and a lot of the groups record with music in I know a lot of the recording was done in Philly and New York and Chicago probably too, maybe Baltimore. Did each area have their own backup guys like the Funk Brothers or the Wrecking Crew that would play exactly. behind the exactly. singers in those cities? Exactly. And, uh, you know, in Philly you had, uh, well, you had Lee Andrews and the Hearts. Long, long and lonely night I cry my eyes out over If I did right, and why you left me with a broken heart? You know, at Building the Essentials, we had a lot of great, uh, you know, but New York, let's be honest, New York's really the capital, you know, of, of doo-wop. And they had all those great saxophone players like uh, King Curtis. And all those, a lot of those doo-wop songs, I heard that great saxophone break that was part of the the doo-wop but there really wasn't a lot of instrumentation that's what really made a doo-wop when you talk about your spinners and the temptations it was the harmony was the same but the, the background the music was a bigger band there was more brass it was like that orchestra that stuff yeah yeah but this but, there, but if you took all the music out you took the, the music tracks out and you heard the temp singing my girl or the spinners you know it would be like the harp tones and the platters it would be it would be just great harmony and harmony is the crux of what makes that whole thing go. It's kind of neat. We're trying to get a, an idea of how the, the evolution of it from the street corner into the studio. And obviously, once it gets to the airwaves, we talked a little bit at the beginning about how the public really drives the demand for a lot of it. A few DJs kind of stick their dick out there and... Uh, a few of them really find out the benefit of being one of those people who is right about new stuff. And that's what we're talking about in that, that area when you're still a kid, before you're a kid carrying Highlights records, man. This is when you're, you've got, you're buying records. And that's why it's, I really think, Harv, this is why this, this period was so influential in your life because of when it was and what it was. That's why oh, sure. that you became so deeply involved in it. And that's why we're so happy to have you here with us this week on the podcast. I appreciate anything anybody does to help keep the music and the memories alive. And that's what you guys are doing. So it's really important in the history. You know, not everybody's really interested. You know, uh, Charlie Gracie told me once that 
there's a there's a statue of Eddie Cochran in, in Europe or in England, but uh, in America, most people don't even know who Eddie Cochran is. Charlie Green said, once you're big in England, you're big forever. Where America is more, who's the hottest thing now? What's the latest big thing, you know? And that's not for everybody, because a lot of us, you know, we love the music of our youth. We stay with it, you know, and we don't, we don't ever leave it. But I, you can see where America is more, what's the latest hot thing than, than other countries. It's the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll with Harvey Holiday, our guest. We're going to pause for the cause. We'll come back and talk more about the music and some of the songs that made doo-wop what it became top of the charts. And we're welcoming a new sponsor to the podcast this week, Marcus, Boldfoot Socks, boldfoot.com. Thanks to Josh Law for joining up and being part of the support for what we do. Marcus, sometimes in life, you need a sock that makes a bold statement. That's why having Boldfoot socks is perfect for our podcast. Go check out all the amazing, cool designs they have. And the socks themselves are pretty amazing, too. All run by a family of veterans. Our buddy Josh Law, a listener to the podcast, told us about how they give 5% of their profits to veterans in need. And we said, let's get involved. When you check out boldfoot.com and look through the socks and decide that you're going to try a pair, if you use the code HISTORY15, you'll get 15% off that order. HISTORY15. And any socks you get come with three months of sock insurance. Who else does that but Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. 100% American made, grown here, sewn here. Gotta love that. A new year, a crooked eye, and a new slate of freshly brewed ales. And your favorites, right? Of course, the favorites always. I'm excited to try some of these new beers in 2022 as well, because it's a new year. Try some new beer. See what's new in 2022 <laughs> at York and Montgomery in the heart of Hatboro. Always a good time to be had there. The live music, the events, the blues jam on Wednesday nights. And of course, you not only can have the brews that are made right there on the premises by Jeffrey, but they've got Pennsylvania craft spirits and wine and just a good time to be had anytime you slide by Crooked Eye in the heart of Montgomery County and in the heart of Delco near you. That's right. Check out Jamie's House of Music. And they've announced a third place to get your Crooked Eye at Speed raceway in horsham pennsylvania always something happening man always something going on behind the eye a crooked eye hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Back from the break, Ray Koob and Marcus Goldman with our guest, Harvey Holiday. Uh, you and I had a what moment there. What did you say, Harvey, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, I said there's some doo-wop artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Dion, uh, mm-hmm. the Munglos, the Drifters. The last doo-wop group to go in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I'll tell you the story about that because my friend was on the committee, was the Five Royals. Each night before you go. My biggest regret in radio is I didn't play more of their music. And, you know, it's really almost about a TV show now on HBO. So they want they want those young demographics. So they didn't even have the five royals sing any songs. And the crazy thing is that Loman Pauling wrote one of the greatest songs of all time called Dedicated to the One I Love, which later hit for the Shirelles and the Mommies and Papas. None of them were alive, which is really sad, you know. Mm. And they they all were introduced. And one of them said, I just wish one of them, the original, was alive to, to see this day. And they weren't. But what happened was, so they go into a room, they have committees of the, you know, there's a rockabilly committee, the English rock, Little Stevens on the committee, I think, for, you know, garage rock or whatever and all that stuff. So somebody will say the name of a group, like my friend Joe McEwen, he he was he did A&R for Columbia Records, other labels. You know, he said the Five Royals and one of the big shots, one of the record company presidents says, Five Royals are going in, end the story, that's it. See, that's how it works. But what they did was they got rid of all the people that, were pushing the the older groups. My friend Joe, he also wanted to get Joe Texan, which I think Joe Tex would be deserving of going in. So I don't think there'll be any more of the doo groups, you know. But a lot of it, you know, was politics. If the president of the record company had juice, they could get the artists in. Madonna's know? in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because she paid sure. the money necessary. Yeah, and exactly. There's a cost that's so, associated with it because it isn't a museum. It's something that's owned by the guy from Rolling Stone, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it probably is. But it's all about business and the TV show and money. You know that. So, And then like Johnny Maestro, who's probably the greatest, you know, considered the greatest doo-wop singer, one of them. Uh, Johnny Maestro, two groups. He had these, like Paul McCartney doo-wop. He, you know, Wings and the Beatles. Johnny Maestro had the crest. Just a fool, a fool. 
he had the Brooklyn Bridge. Great performer, died a few years ago. Always packed him in, not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and probably never will be. You know, I, I don't think that they, they should worry about the awards and stuff. You know how many people you've made happy. You know how much songs That's are right. meant to people. You know, I always say, I mean, this is just me. You know, I mean, I've gotten many awards and I uh, and I appreciate them and I'm proud of them. But at the end of the day, when I look in the mirror, I know what I did and what I didn't do. You know, I know I made people happy by playing music for them. Uh, a guy put on Facebook that I wished his mother a happy birthday. He owned a pizza shop. Hmm. And uh, I called, I wrote, him, I wrote to him. I said, I'm going to wish your mother a happy birthday. And they made the radio real loud. The place was packed and everybody cheered. And I wish her happy birthday. She said it was the greatest day of her life. She was so happy. <laughs> and that's, and that's what, ra- you know, it sounds so silly. You know, if you tell the exact. It's not, though. It's what I know. Exactly. Man. People love it. You congratulate somebody on the birth of their son. 20 years later, they'll bring the kid up and say, hey, when you were born, he said your name on the radio. It means a lot. You know, yeah. I don't care who you are. You know, true. It, it, when people I always tell the story about the woman. Their mother had was dying of cancer. She was from Reading. She used to drive to the hospital three days a week and said the only part of that ride i enjoy was listening to you well we all have those stories because that's the power of radio reaching out mm-hmm. and able to play you know when somebody calls and says man this is my wedding song i haven't heard this song in you know 15 years and and you can play it and you know you put some happiness into somebody's life i mean that to me was the, that was the greatest joy that was my reward in radio you know, and that just to me, that's what radio was all about, and that's what's missing today. It's such a silly thing, you know. And 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 we all love music, whether we're disc jockeys or radio guys or not. You know, my mother loved Gladys Knight. Whenever I play Gladys Knight, I always say for my mom. My one of my best friends who died, love Ray Charles. I play Ray Charles. I thought of my friend Eric. Music and radio would bring us all together. Mm-hmm. But it does. Do it still does. It connect. It can still connect you to moments in your life and the music. You hear a song, it reminds you of something that happened at a party with a friend. Maybe it's a friend who's no longer with you or somebody you don't see as much. Exactly. These things all still do matter. You know what I want to talk about is some of the songs. Everybody, there's all these lists, Harvey, of different, you know, lists of songs. But I looked at this one and I thought, well, a lot of the big songs are on here. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about them. You know, I I, I am an expert. I'm not ashamed to say it, but you know what? I'm not an expert on years. I don't really care about the year. For some reason, I never cared. You know, I love the song. I don't care. You know, I know the B-side. I know the label. I know the lead singer. I don't care what year it was from because to me, it's it's forever. Well, then I'll play this jockey and remind you, out of 1957, recorded in Pittsburgh, the Dell Vikings. I know you probably played them a lot on Sundays. Yeah. Come go with me. Recorded in Pittsburgh by an integrated group. Unheard of at the time. Two blacks and two whites. Come go with me, and then the great follow-up, Whispering Bells. You know what's really funny to me now, and and God, it hasn't changed nearly enough, is the fact that the sharing of music between people of all cultures and races back from the 50s is the essence of what has made music amazing and great all through the decades into this new century that we're in the middle of and all that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's just the reality that as far as we think we've come, we haven't come all the way. Let me tell you one more thing about Come Go With Me. If, if a guy came down from Mars and he said, well, play me a doo-wop record, you could play Come Go With Me. You know, it's got everything. It's got a great lead. It's got harmony. It's got the, you know, the doo-wop syllables and all the crazy stuff. It's got the saxophone. It's, it's just a perfect doo-wop record. It's the epitome of what doo-wop really is. The Drifters and the Platters are two acts that my mom and her twin sister were teenagers in the 50s that I heard everything about them and Clyde and everything about the, the bands and the records. In fact, I have a Great Pretender record that's worn to the nubs. And the Drifters, There Goes My Baby. What a great song to listen to on the radio back in those days, too. The Sound of AM, right? There are two songs that you bring up, and I'm really glad you do because they both mean a lot to me. And, I, and there's great stories about them, whether they're true or not, I don't know. But what happened was uh, the Platters had a big hit called Only You. When you hold my hand, I understand the magic that you do. You're my dream come true, my one and only you. And the record company president called in the manager, Buck Ram, who was the manager of the Platters. He said, we need a follow-up. You have one? Well, Buck didn't have a follow-up, but he said, I got a follow-up. He said, well, what is it? He said, The Great Pretender, because he was pretending that he had a follow-up. And then he had to go write a song called The Great Pretender, which he did. Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Mercury, Mercury signed the Dell Vikings, but they didn't want them unless they got another group. And so Buck Rand managed them both, and he said, all right, I'll give you, you know, you'll sign both groups. The other group that they really wanted didn't do anything, and the uh, Dell Vikings had, a, you know, a fabulous career. The Drifters, I had dinner with Clyde when I was about 15. He was on the Highland TV show. I had dinner with Clyde McFadden. And, and Phil Phillips, who had a song called The Sea of Love. I was working for High Lit. He had a TV show, the High Lit TV show on Channel 10 on City Line, where I eventually worked at OGL. And they had a 24-hour restaurant in the uh, TV. After we did rehearsal, High Lit and I and Clyde McFadden and Phil Phelps went down and had dinner. So I didn't realize I was having, I mean, I was excited, but years later, I realized, geez, yeah, dinner with Clyde McFadden. Are you kidding me? That was unbelievable. Cred, man. Cred from that age. See, that's the stuff that happens when you're willing to do whatever it takes, right? When I left OGL, I told the young kids, they asked me to talk. I had all the young interns and stuff, and I said, I got one piece of advice. Whatever they ask you, say yes. Stay in the building. The name of the game in radio is to get in the building and stay in the building. Absolutely. Exactly. Here's another story. 1959, there goes my baby. I'm driving with High Lake. We're listening to Georgie Woods on WDISAF. I'm Georgie Woods, the man with the goods. I said it before and I'll say it again. Georgie Woods, the man with the goods. And he plays for the first time. They got a new record by the Drifters. When I heard There Goes My Baby, I thought it was from outer space. I said, oh my God. I wonder why she left me. 
The only other record that I heard years later that made me feel the same way was What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And you went, the first time you heard it, you went, oh my God, what is that? You know, it was just, it just jumped out of the radio and grabbed you by the throat. One of the songs that I found doing research and preparation for this show was Lilac in the Rain by the Ravens. I was blown away by the harmonies of this band and the beauty of that song and the way they were able to capture the emotion with their harmonies was just unbelievable. I see lilacs in the rain Ravens were another, uh, you know, great early group. They were maybe a little bit past the uh, Ink Spots and the Mills Brothers, but they were, you know, they were pretty early. And a lot of songs that they did, like they did the first Old Man River, and I mean, they did the first Old Man River from a doo-wop perspective, you know, and then the Flamingos did it and the Temptations did it. So a lot of songs would become, you know, standard. Every era that came, a new group came along, they would do those songs. Mm. We saw that a lot in rock and roll later as well. And into the 60s and 70s and beyond, everybody lining up behind cover versions. Um, somebody that we haven't talked about is uh, on my radar here. Uh, I'm thinking about Little Darling from the Diamonds, uh, Maurice Williams, famously uh, his song Stay, redone in the 70s by Jackson Brown, part of his live album. But they were huge, man, coming out of Chicago on Mercury Records. This, I think, is one of the fine all-time hits that we talk so much about. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the Diamonds with Little Darling. Little Darling was a cover by, as you say, it was it was Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs, who later finally got their due with Stay. But it's one of the few times where the white version of the cover song became bigger than the original black version. A lot of times that didn't happen. Uh, but the Little Darling by the time is fabulous. And uh, like I said, Maurice must have really, you know, I guess he felt okay because he got the writer's royalties. But then he finally had a number one hit with Stay. shortest number one record of all time i think it was like about a minute 35 so if you were on Man, the radio no bathroom song that's you didn't want to go to the bathroom hey i had used to have a list don't go to the bathroom when these yeah. songs are on but you guys got led zeppelin you know stairway to heaven and then you got it to vita came along and you know when you necessary. can go home and go to the bathroom right right now we have tool and rush Hey, can I talk to you about the Marcells? Because they're one of the bands that was on this list. Obviously, Blue Moon 
uh, is a song that became known to all the guys in my age group. I guess it started with uh, American Graffiti, but by the mid-70s, everybody was into music, including uh, not knowing who the hell sang it, but Blue Moon, the Marcells, the original, right? Another integrated group. Pittsburgh was, you know, Pittsburgh was pretty good towards uh, integration, you know, with, with having integrated groups. But the Marcells were great, and they had other had heartaches after that. That was a, that was a classic, and uh, they did my melancholy baby. But uh, a good group. I think up until a couple of years ago, they were still appearing. But uh, Blue Moon was, a, was one of the few doo-wop number one records. You know, it's got the bass, got the good lead singer, it's got the harmony, it's got everything. You know, the lyrics, you know, I'm sure Rogers and Hart appreciated the royalties. One of the songs that came out of Philadelphia is probably one of the most, say, stereotypical doo-wop songs, one of the most well-known. And I didn't know until I started digging into it that at the Hop by Danny and the Juniors was originally going to be called Do the Bop, but they were told by Dick Clark to change it because how sock hops were becoming all the craze. Correct. And that because of it, they think that that's what made it such a big hit. But uh, at the hop was like number one for like seven weeks. Now their next record, they needed a follow up. One of the junior's father said, have you heard that song by Little Richard called All Around the World? He said, well, he has a line in All Around the World. He says, all around the world, rock and roll is here to stay. So Johnny Madera said, that's the song. And they wrote Rock and Roll is Here to Stay, their second hit. It's the way rock and roll gets done. You never know where the source for an idea or a lyric is going to come from, even now. Here's one of my favorite stories. Jerry Butler comes to Philadelphia and buys a Cadillac. Him and Curtis Mayfield are driving to Atlantic City and they're writing a song. And they say, you know, the singers, we come into town and the groupies come after us. The girls come after us because we're the big rock and roll stars and singers. How do the boyfriends of those girls feel when they see their girl going with a rock and roll star? And then they wrote, he don't love you like I love you. He will break your heart. Now, here's my favorite one, though. Uh, Doc Pomus, great, great songwriter, had polio, wrote Viva Las Vegas, Teenager in Love, and the number one hit he wrote, Save the Last Dance for Me. So he gets married to a Broadway dancer. Because he has polio, he can't dance at his wedding. But he tells his wife, have a good time, go dance. And he sits at a table, got a pen, 
and a napkin. He sees his wife dance, and then he says, You can dance. Every dance with the guy who gives you the eye, let him hold you tight. You can smile. Every smile for the man who held your hand neath the pale light. But don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling, say the last I love that song. Me a beautiful story. It is. Yes. And I never knew that. Sam Cook's in England. He, he appears and does a concert in England. He goes back to his hotel room and he writes another Saturday night. Another Saturday night that I ain't got nobody. I got some money cause I just got paid. Now how I wish I had someone to talk to. I'm in an awful way. Ain't got nobody. <laughs> Kenny Gamble, Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff, and, and Jerry Butler are writing songs up on, on Broad Street. It's at the... Uh, Scamble Huff's uh, offices, and there's a knock on the door. Western Union, Western Union telegram. Half hour later, they write, Hey, Western Union man. Oh, Western Union man, send a telegram to my baby. Send a telegram, send a telegram. Smokey Robinson and Al Cleveland, who I, I know pretty well. He also co wrote What's Going On. Al Cleveland wrote, I second that emotion. They were walking in a department store in Detroit. And I think they saw a lady, and one of them said something, and the other guy said, I second that emotion. Smokey said, hey, that's a song. And they went to it. You know, a lot of us, we hear things, and we hear things, you know. But the great songwriters, they hear things, and that's where they get their material on their song. Nothing like better than real life, you know. True. You know, Harv, we've talked a little bit about it here, and through the uh, last few years on the podcast, we've talked about the past the racial division in the South, uh, the way that songs had to be recorded for different you know, aspects of radio and sales, and through time, how people being fed up with all that kind of have pushed through. But doo-wop had a lot of that, too, and we've talked about a couple examples. Uh, you talked about groups that were uh, groundbreaking at the time because they were mixed race as far as their membership. But there was a lot of people trying to get hits with the song and the white radio. There was still some division then. It seemed like it got better, and then it kind of divided again in that time that we talked about in the 70s earlier. Like, I'm looking at uh, a song that I grew up with. I grew up with the Crew Cuts version. There uh, Shaboom, right. But then you had the American version, the American band from the Bronx in New York, the Chords. Because radio was segregated then. You had your white radio, they used to call white radio and black radio. So when black radio played the Moonglow Sincerely, white radio didn't want to play it. So the McGuire sisters had a big, big hit with Sincerely. And there's a whole bunch of cases like that where, you know, we always think of Pat Boone doing Little Richard and Pat's Domino songs. Once radio became more integrated, then they didn't have to make the white version. But Shaboom, you're right, Shaboom by the, uh, the crew cuts I never played. That was on Dot. Dot was famous for because Dot was Pat Boone's label. And That's right, it was on Dot. I have all my mom's yeah. records, Harvey. I have to get down. I, all her 45s are in the basement, uh, and I got to get them out and catalog and see what I got down there. Yeah, you definitely I may need to, do. I may need to, need to call you and go over a few things. As far as Pat Boone goes, I know I'm post-Pat Boone, but I got to say his stuff was as plain and generic and uh as it gets. Wait no, wait no. Oh, goodness gracious. Number one record for Lloyd Price, 1959, Stagger Lee. There's a shooting in the record. 
Dick Clark, right. American Bandstand, which you had to have your record played then, would not play with the violence. So they cut what they called the bandstand version of Stagger Lee, where there's no shooting, there's no violence. Wow. Wow. There's a collector's item. And that's that's available, you know, on Lloyd Price's greatest hits. But he had to have the record played. And, you know, that's bandstand was important because that was one of the few places the black groups could get on television. True. If you were a Philly group, you know, whenever somebody couldn't get in or they, you know, they, they couldn't get a plane, they, they always called Danny the Juniors to come, to come in and go on. So, and don't forget, Dick Clark was a partner in Swan Records and in, uh, and in Cameo Records. You know, so a lot of people think that he gave, you know, preference to, to those artists. You know, one of the things is, and it's sort of true, is that when Fabian and Frankie Avalon, Bobby Rydell were around, Dick Clark was more interested in what they looked like than what they sounded like. <laughs> you know, they wanted good-looking kids on television, the teen idols. But if you look at the Beatles, I mean Elvis, and then the Beatles, what was the big thing in between uh, Elvis and the Beatles? It was dance music, which, you know, all kinds of it. The Twist was number one twice, 59. So Elvis came 56, the Beatles came 63, 64. But in the meantime, all the mashed potatoes with D.D. Sharp, the Twist, the Pony Time, Twisting the Night Away, Sam Cook. A lot of yeah. music was the dance, was dances. Yeah. yeah. We had 18 months of Buddy Holly, too, in that time period. And the influence is still around today. Absolutely. You hear it everywhere. You know, I mean, the the Beatles were, uh, I think, who would you say the biggest influence on the Beatles were? I would say Buddy Holly and the Everly Brothers. We've talked about that in an episode, and they absorbed it all, including stuff that was going on at the same time from Motown, doing songs from the early days of Motown in their True. early records. Yeah. Partially because they had a mutual admiration society going on there, too. The Beatles took in everything. Where the Stones, I think, I think McCartney just commented on that. Where the Stones were mainly uh, blues, rock, mm -hmm. you know, Chuck Berry, sure. Muddy Waters, they Dirty were the chess. Blues. So their their music was 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 more focused on blues, you know, and then it evolved, obviously. But the Beatles had everything, so that's why their music was so versatile, you know. From El Eleanor Rigby is nothing like, uh, you know, why don't we do it in the road, right? I mean, it's just right. they're all over the place, you know. And but they, they have all these great harmonies that were happening on the radio all around the world. This music was getting out from the U.S. Mm -hmm. and getting over there and all around. So they had the influence, all these amazing harmonies that were happening from the street corners of our cities to the world. Yeah. Don't forget the Beach Boys. Talk well, for it, me, uh, I've harmony. talked about it, Harv, where the Beach Boys were actually my beginning of what I call rock and roll as a little kid. I really loved the Beach Boys before I even knew what the Beatles were. And so yeah. they were always present in my head, like a lot of the music we're talking about here. Uh, some of the stuff from 58, 59, especially, is me laying in the crib and it's the radio's on and I'm listening to this music. We, we talk about our, being encoded in our mental DNA. And this mm -hmm. music that we're talking about here is that essential for, for me, especially, because I was a baby and a, and a toddler with a lot of this stuff until I got to into the 60s stuff. Beach Boys did, you know, the, the original Barbara Ann was by the Regents, a mild doo-wop hit, and the Beach Boys, you know, had a, had a top ten hit with it. So that was sort of their tribute to uh, to the doo-wop groups by doing Barbara Ann. But their harmony is unbelievable. Yeah. Let me ask you something. We were talking about Dick Clark, and it made me think, how did the singing groups, the guys who were known for their singing, how did they feel about lip-syncing the songs versus singing them live? Well, he had he had a Saturday night show. That he they had they did live singing, but you know, oh. 
the record company would say, hey, if you were a young kid, the record company said, hey, you know, we signed you up. We want, you want to sell records and make money. You know, you'll go on, you'll go on the show and, and you'll, you know, you'll lip sync. Mm -hmm. Everybody appeared on that show except for Elvis Presley and Ricky Nelson. And I guess, you know, and then, then later, I'm talking about the early rock and roll. Obviously, the Beatles were never on it. I'm sure not. Yeah. Right. The thing with Dick is, I mean, he would, you know, he, he would play a record and it was a hit mm -hmm. for the most part. And the influence was like unbelievable. Georgie Woods told me that he, Dick Clark would call him up and say, what's big, you know, and he, you know, he'd tell him the different songs. And then, then Dick, you know, they used to have that rate the record, remember? Anywhere yeah, sure. from 35 to 98. I, I give it an 86. I really like the words and I can dance to it. I had the beat, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a whole different world then. But uh, Bernie Binnick and Tony Mamarelli, who was Dick's producer, but then he had to get out because of uh, he had to either go in the record business or leave the TV. Anyway, they're in England and they say to an elevator operator, "What any any big singers or groups around?" So yeah, it's a new group called the Beatles. They they ended up buying the rights to "She Loves You." They put it out. By memory, sir, it was only only people liked it was in Hartford, Connecticut. I think <laughs> they had to wait the record. It didn't do well. Anyway, they get a call from Capitol one day. We like to buy that record. I think they had it for a year or two years. They figure something must be up. Let's hold on to it. Of course, I want to hold your hand came out. And then they had a number one record, which she loves you because anything with the Beatles on it, as you know, was a smash. So it all started with an elevator operator in England who told the, the owners of Swan Records about the Beatles. And then they put it out in German. They put out the other side. I'll get you. You know, it was crazy. But that saved the record company. They were on Fitzwater Street in South Philadelphia. And they, had, they owned the Beatle record. And then they were in New York, Bernie Bennick, and he saw Hank Bauer doing the twist. And he said, boy, that'd be great for Dick because it's visual, you know, for the bandstand. Right, right. So he came, he came back and they said, let's record the twist. Well, he had Dan and the Juniors, and they said, no, nah, it wouldn't be good. Hey, let's get that guy Chubby Checker. Well, Chubby had one record on Cameo Parkway called The Class, where he imitated other singers. And somebody said, that'd be great for Chubby Checker. So they brought Chubby in. They cut the twist. And the other side was called The Toot. And Bernie Bin, the famous story is that Bernie Binnick was on vacation. When he came back, he said, how come we cut Chubby Checker? I thought we were done with him. He said, well, Dick told us to do it. He said, oh, Dick Clark said do it. Let's do it. He said, let me hear it. So he listened to the twist, and then he listened to the other side of the toot. And the legend story is that Bernie Binnick put up his hand and says, all right, we'll put it out, but we're going to promote the toot. <laughs> so then it became. Oh, my. So I had water then, in my mouth. I almost sprayed everything. You know what else they did was smart. They they, they got King Records to give them a, a finger popping time by Hank Bauer. So they started playing that. So they gave Hank a hit, and then they put started playing the twist by Chubby. That way, each guy had a hit, and people wouldn't play Hank's the twist because he had finger popping time, and they wanted him to play Chubby Checker's the twist. So it's a crazy business. It's a crazy business. The stories. And it always has been from every book or story we've read or heard, man. It's and, and thank you so much for taking time to to share some of your stories. Just you know, we'll have to have you come back and talk more about all this stuff because not only the doo-wop stuff that you've had hands-on involvement with the radio for all these years, you're kind of a uh, an archaeologist into that music. But beyond that, your love of Bob Dylan is is noted, and in, in, uh, you're one of the foremost Dylanologists I know. So, and and I'm glad to hear that you and Jim Gardner are going on tour with Bob now that he's right. ready to That's retire. Right. So right. that means that Dylan will have touring plans for the next few years, and I'll know where to find you two guys. Bob said you, you can all come with me, but nobody can be older than me. <laughs> you know, when he did those Sinatra songs, he, he took a lot of flack for that. But they're saying that doing the Sinatra songs helped him sing better, to, you know, to be more clear. Mm -hmm. And that he's now, when he sings his own songs, 
he's singing it like he did the standards from the Sinatra song. So, mm. and know, we're also running on another episode of the Imbalance History. You got it. Let's roll all do about it. Bob Dylan with our guest Harvey Holiday. And that is what we're going to do sometime. We're yes, we will do to talk Dylan. about Bob. One of your true passions, I know. I love you, man. Thank you for coming and hanging with us for a while. Hey, you guys keep it up. Keep the music and the memories and the stories alive so people can learn and people can know. It's very we're going to come up with more questions about doo-wop and all the other music that you love so you can tell us more and keep us informed about the things we don't know and we can share it to this little wacky part of the podcast universe that we have. I love to all, as Ringo would say, right? talking about Dylan like that with Harvey Holiday just gave me some ideas about like a Dylan symposium we should do something silly like that get all these different Dylanologists in could be fun that would be a lot of fun I was actually thinking while you were saying that is when are we gonna have Harvey back on to talk about music he's a blast his stories Uh. and he's got a million of them you know, so uh, thanks to Harvey Holiday for coming off the bench of retirement and everything else that he's doing and enjoying life. So thanks again to Harv and thanks to you for tuning in and finding us here on Pantheon or whatever app that you find us on. Uh, signing off from the studios of Dark Doc Radio, I'm the Doc, I guess, Ray Coop. <laughs> I'm the dark one, Marcus Goldman. (laughs) And this has been a dig into doo-wop roots on the imbalance history of rock and roll. 23 skidoo! Coming soon, R&B in the 70s, part two on the imbalance history of rock and roll. It's really about the rest of the story that we didn't tell in part one. And we'll be talking about artists that we didn't talk about in the first part, including Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, Earth, Wind & Fire, Isaac Hayes. And we'll dig into artists that we barely touched on, like the Delphonics, the Spinners, and the Stylistics. More soul, more funk. More groove in R&B in the 70s, part two. Releasing February 21st, wherever you get your podcasts and on the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.